0: Hey, welcome back to episode 22. It's the age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius. There was a Something's show, in it, Dan.
1: You don't have no legs.
0: <laughs> There's a show a long time ago. Did you ever watch Recess? Of course. Yeah, Recess was a great show, and they have that in the like they were like 60s era and doing that and living that jam. So anyway. Totally off topic, but this is a turn bark time episode 22. I'm the turn, I'm the bark, and we're still here for a long time. Welcome, as you can tell behind us, we have our four content stuff up. Uh, this is all about for our eighth grade classes. W- topic today is African Americans or Africans in the 1800s.
1: So, again, just to your geography, geographically challenged. I brought you a map. E-o. Not a great anniversary present. Just don't, don't do that. Yeah. But anyway, as you can see, when we talk about the South, we're talking about, right, the South down here in the gray, which will represent the Confederacy of American states in here in a little bit. And the blue in the North being the Union, right, for the United States, the Union, the marriage. Right. So I always love to talk about this time period is working towards a divorce, but, you know, a separation, a trial separation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> One party does not want the separation. <laughs>
1: yeah. So a lot of this section of the book um, gives us kind of dialogue from Frederick Douglass. So Frederick Douglass was um, an abolitionist, which abolitionists believe in abolition and abolition means to abolish to abolish means to make things go away um, and so obviously the thing that they want to go away is slavery and so he will pop up numerous times during this chapter um, he was very outspoken spent time as a slave and then eventually like ran away jumped on the railroad um, fell in love with a free a free black woman Um, In Maryland, I believe, and then made his way north to kind of claim freedom. And then at that point, you know, one of the weird dichotomies we're going to talk about in this whole section is the difference between like how some African or African-Americans are property, like slaves, and then how some of them, when they become free black people or free African-Americans, they get some rights but they're considered a person like they're no longer considered like, cause think about it, like, you can't have ownerless property like that, that's out running around and cognizant, you know, like I own my couch, but my couch can't leave the house and go start its own life somewhere else. So this is really where like the, it's really the mind bender of this whole I era in I, my, in my perspective.
0: I think a better analogy for that Barker would be like your dog, right? Like your dog is your property just because it is living and breathing kind of deal versus the couch. So like, but your dog can't just go off and like make its own decisions and things like that. Right. And, and to kind of give an idea of what uh, the property rights of slaves, slave owners and um, I guess people in the South for that matter. And some people in the North view Africans or African-Americans as no greater than animals. Obviously, they had thought they were a little bit smarter than their animals but like the idea was that like when you bought a slave and stuff like that it was the equivalent of buying like a horse or or oxen to to do a task for you um and so one of the big things here is like frederick Douglass like does serve is is a slave for some time the difference between douglas and uh other slaves at the time is douglas is actually literate he can read and write and that's a huge deal that's what helps get him to freedom uh, is that he can pass as a free person by being able to read and write when most slaves in most slave states, it is illegal to teach these people to read and write.
1: And that's, again, part of the systematic oppression that comes with slavery is that you have to create some sort of delineation between who's a slave and who's not. And one of the easiest ways, like, I, I don't, it wasn't purely for this, but like slavery in America was really easy to see because of the skin color difference between slaves and non-slaves for the most part. I mean, the book, it talks about there was 3.6 million African-Americans in America. Um, Three million of them were slaves. So you have a half million free blacks that are, you know, in the North and the South, but are also... Like everybody likes to say like well the north were abolitionists and they were against slavery but that doesn't mean that they thought that African Americans were equals. 87% of the African Americans that worked in the north worked in like low wage jobs. 87%. So only 13 of them like broke into the next level of jobs to be like a mid-level worker. Mostly like they would be working probably factory workers, you know, and just doing like that low-level entry level same work that the immigrants are doing. Um, And at a certain point, the immigrants being that they're Caucasian and from Europe, you know, and they can ascend because they can go to school where African-American children weren't allowed into public schools. And eventually what what that led to was the creation of um, like schools and churches only for African-Americans. So like the picture up here is of Richard Allen who's the first bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And Frederick Douglass talks about, he tried to go, he was in Massachusetts, I can't remember the name of the town, but he says, I tried to go to, you know, this church, and they said they wouldn't take me because I was black. And he goes, I went to every other church in this town and essentially received the same answer. And so, like, when we think about this, 100 years later, we start getting into the civil rights movement where we say separate is not, is inherently unequal, right? It had been that way for over a hundred years, not excusing it, but right, even the North, they don't like slavery, but it doesn't mean that they want the African Americans to come live with them in the North. That's why Liberia is created on the West Coast of Africa, is so that we can essentially free slaves and send them back to Africa, now, granted, they're like a very small number of them actually come from what will be Liberia, and you are taking hundreds, thousands of people that have been displaced from, you know, thousands of different tribes and dialects and cultures, and then mashing them back into one in Africa.
0: But like to even lead off with that, you have a bunch of people like a lot of the people who went back to Liberia weren't even born in Africa, like they were born in the, the what is the United States, and so. It's like you're, it's that it's really frustrating because that's the same thing like when you see it like rallies or anti-immigrant people and like, they're like, they talk to an Arab person. They talk to a person that's Hispanic and they're like, go back where you came from. You're like, well, I'm born here. Like, where am I supposed to go? You know, and then there's that, that and that's a, another problem, right? Like, cause that's a, like a systematic thing where you're like, you automatically assume because this person's skin color or, or something they say or the way they look, They came from a completely different place. Um, You know, you don't look at me and tell me to get in the back of the paddy wagon, right? Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, because we're, just because I'm Irish, you don't, like, say, like, oh, like, hey, you need to go back and get to your potato field. Like, it's not like that's, I have no idea. Like, I've never been to Ireland before in my life. So, it doesn't make sense. Um, So, again, things in the north aren't all hunky-dory, right? Like, they might want to abolish the idea of a human owning another human, but they're not like, come here, brother, give me a hug, come work in my job. No, they don't – they're like, no, uh-uh. Especially in the, the immigrants that are, are Caucasian, like, have the look and they're like, whoa, 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 time out, right? Like, you shouldn't take my job, right? Because there's there's a difference between – it comes just from the way we look, right? Like, being white versus being a person of color, there's there's that major difference. The South, obviously, slave is, is slavery exists and is spreading – What's interesting, though, and we discussed this uh, last week when we were talking about the differences between north and south, uh, the slave in the south was doing, like, tasks, like, mostly agricultural work. And that agriculture that comes developed in the 1800s is from cotton. And remember, uh, 1793, Eli Whitney, uh, a man from Massachusetts, patents an invention called the cotton gin or the cotton engine. Uh, And basically to give you an idea, 3,000 bales of cotton were exported from the South in 1790. By 1860, I believe it's four million bales of cotton are able to be exported. So again, this machine rapidly allows uh, the harvesting of cotton and makes cotton actually profitable. And so the, the logic was that, okay, we need slavery for economic purposes. If we want to continue to make money, we need slave labor. That was kind of one of the big justifications. And again, the North is uh, implicated in the South's success, right? So the South makes all this cotton, the majority of that cotton goes North, right? To run the cotton, the the textile factories of the North. And so everyone says, okay, you need these, you know, slaves to, to function, right? Like, so Northern factory workers, if you want your job, like You have to keep slaves. And it was interesting, I was just talking to Barker off camera, that one of the fascinating pieces of this is I'm reading a book right now called uh, like Teaching History is a Mystery. And they cited a study that shows there's never been any proof that the South wouldn't have been as successful with free market labor, so in terms of just hiring people to do work, versus the slave uh, labor model.
1: Well, it's interesting because, like, you think about there's uh, studies that will say that like happy workers will produce more than like people that like you can't just go for like root efficiency like this is what we need and it's one of those it's it's kind of basic economics you couldn't import more slaves so that was the number of slaves was stagnant you couldn't just go out and easily replace them so but the need is going up the desire for having a slave is going up because you're trying to grow more cotton. Because if – it's the same thing that happened with – like tobacco had the same kind of thing that happened. They landed in Jamestown. They made uh, tobacco. People liked it, so they grew more. And then eventually, like, they oversaturated the market for tobacco, grew too much of it, and the price went down. We never – that didn't happen yet with cotton. Cotton was still in that glory phase of climbing. Um, so, like, as the desire for slave goes, goes up, cotton is a desirable, I guess, material for making fabric. And then it's, like, so, like, the chances of slavery ending or the South voluntarily saying, yeah, you know, we're just going to stop and we're going to hire people. Like, that goes down. It's So it's, it's an economic thing, but it also reinforces, like, a social structure. Yeah. And I think that's really important. that Even as a, a poor white farmer, you knew that you had more power and more freedom in society than a black slave. And so when people say, like, even though – only plantation owners own slaves. Why didn't the poor people like they didn't want to identify with the slave? Right? They they thought, again, it goes back to the, the the pseudoscience of the day, is that by saying that they're a slave and you're free, it makes you better, it gives you something better. And like, even one of the things I found was interesting, I have a picture of it here, um, is that slave clothes were made from like a specifically like like the worst material that they can make as cheaply and as quickly as possible um this is actually a historic from a a museum in new orleans so it's like an actual historic piece and like they would say said that like each year a slave got like two shirts essentially a pair of like warm weather trousers a pair of like cold weather trousers one jacket one pair of socks a pair of shoes and that was it for the year and like if it went bad you had to scrounge up and try and figure out how to make something work. And then, you know, but sometimes slaves were allowed to do extra jobs on the side and make money where they probably could have bought could have went out, gone out and bought extra clothes or found some way of, you know, supplementing their clothing. But you think about how many clothes the average American wears today. You know, you say, oh, I have nothing to wear, and you look and you have a pile of laundry sitting in your house where these people literally by the end of the year, barely have enough clothes to keep their backs covered. Like literally don't have any clothing on their back. Yeah.
0: And and one of the things that, so this leads into the, the next piece, which is like, if we go back to economics and again, we took all the sections of the book. So if you're a student and you're following along all the sections, of the book we are just kind of going through and putting them all together because the book separates them out by topic, but it's really to talk about the slavery as a whole, we need to just combine them. And so it's going to be kind of organic in that conversation. So, as a slave owner, you have to kind of weigh the economics of how you treat your slaves. You know, do I provide them with more clothing, right? Do I provide them, what type of housing do I provide for them? You know, and those types of things are like, okay, but those determine, those cost me money, right? So I lose money from my profits to try and make my slaves um, a little bit better. Now, what, what, what is said in the book and what has been said on George Washington's plantation that I visited multiple times, Barker came with me one of those years, is that slaves were, uh, food for slaves was considered like something that you gave them. Like it was something you consistently provided. You never like let your slaves starve in general. Now, food could be rationed out for the purpose of saving money for trying to punish a slave or trying to make sure that they like knew their place. Right. You're, it, it, you're the person who gives them food. And again, that's where I go back to like the animal analogy, right? Like if you think of, you have a pet and I, again, this is not my own personal beliefs. This is just the, the, the mentality of the owner at the time, right? Like my dog comes and I want, and he waits for me to give me him his food. Right. So, like, hopefully when I tell him to do stuff, he does it because he kind of knows that I'm the one who provides the food. Right. And it's also a reason why he'll never, like, hopefully leave because he knows food comes from here and that's the guaranteed spot. And again, that's it's, it's a control thing. Um, the other thing was medical care. Right. So if like you if sl- slave owners like may have been stingy about like clothing or cabins or anything like that but they were not stingy about like food and medical care because those are the things like, right, you're making an investment in this slave, you need them to do their job. Every day they can't do their job, you're losing money on that, right? And again, that's not saying, like I, we'll, we'll get to punishments and things like that and treatment of slaves, but that's kind of just the overall basic mentality is that you're gonna limit the things that cost you money, but slaves do cost money, right? They're going to cost you food that you have to provide clothing. You have to provide and some sort of housing and possibly medical care.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things that like you as, as interesting, like in the same way as that you would view livestock, like you're not going to starve, a, you know, oxen that you want to use to help plow a field or a horse that you have, you know, um, drive your buggy. In the same way like you want to you're not the book kind of makes statement like they're not trying to improve the slaves but they're trying to like maintain them and use them as much as possible yep. which like if you compare that to like the nazis and the holocaust with the jews in the labor camps the whole purpose of those labor camps was to feed them enough just to keep them alive and then eventually kill them through overworking them where the slaves, since you can't get more and they're expensive, there is a certain level of like, you're going to take care of them because they cost you money and they're really expensive to replace. Um, the picture behind me is actually from Mount Vernon. So the historical site of George Washington's plantation, that is a a historic reproduction of a slave cabin. Um, there's no way that's still freestanding from the time yeah. that it was made. And like, of slaves worked in the fields doing, like, from sunup to sunrise, like, out in the fields, either picking plants, thinning plants, whatever, and then at night, they would, you know, bring in water, firewood, um, feed animals, things of that nature, and then the other 25% of slaves are working in non-field-related jobs, so, like, they're either, like, what you call, like, house slaves, meaning that they were, like, a servant, a maid, a butler, a nanny, you know, something like that in in the home and like i I worked overseas in kuwait and a lot of kuwaiti families still employ um southeast asian help they're not they're not slaves but it's pretty darn close like the families hold the passports at least they did when i was there they held the passports of the southeast asians that worked for them like so like the maid or the driver or the cook if they needed to like leave and go back to their home country, it was up to their employer to provide them with their passport. So they could leave their documents. They could not freely travel and leave their job to go back home. You know what I mean? It was up to the employer. And I actually, one of my, oh yeah, it's just, so like when people say that slavery doesn't exist, there's some stuff out there that's pretty darn close. The difference is, is the people that are working as domestic help in the Middle East can make like five times as much money or ten times as much money doing that job and sending their money back home to India than they can working in India. So, I mean, there's way more economic benefit for those people than there were for the slaves. The slaves didn't get the chance to – they weren't sending money back to their family in Africa. They didn't communicate with their family back in Africa. So, I mean, there, there's a major difference there. But, um, you know, and it's interesting because, like, I have family that's from the South, and my dad talked about – you know even going and visiting family back in Virginia and stuff they still had in the like 60s still had african americans that worked and like cooked for the richer parts of our relatives back in Virginia and my dad was like she'd make you food anytime you wanted but she would never eat with you in the kitchen like you always ate by your you know you would never sit down with her and eat she would not like the at that point the employee would say no you know what I mean? So like, it's just not like when slavery not, when slavery ends, it's like this magical wand happens and it just erases hundreds of years of social structure. And so, I mean, I think it's, sometimes it's hard for us on the West Coast to understand that because, you know, we're, our, our state's younger in that sense and we don't have that history to try and deal with.
0: Yeah. Well, that's like my, like a, whenever I ask my dad about it, because I ask him about it every year when we get to like Martin Luther King Day, and he always tells me, he goes, Well, I was in high school, and give, to give you a retrospect. My dad was graduating from high school in 1965. And so, but I was like, Dad, like, what was going on? Like, the I Have a Dream speech that like, came out, blah, 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 and he's like, He's like, Honestly, Zach, he goes, He goes, We had like two black kids at our high school. He goes, One was class president, and one was a star on the basketball team. I was like, Okay. And he's like, Yeah like, no, I was like, any, like, racist things or anything? He goes, no, not really. He goes, I, he goes but I didn't know. Like, I didn't really pay attention. So, um, but, yeah, that's a kind of a, a, a West Coast kind of bias, because we just don't see it um, as much. Uh, obviously, we had our own problems with, you know, the Asian-American populations and the Asian immigrants coming over. And that's a whole nother story. Uh, but, anyway, like, going on with this and talking about, like, Barger brought up, like, the, the slaves will work from from dusk till dawn, and they'll work, you know, super long hours, especially in the fields and stuff like that. Um, and then, then the next thing was like how slaves were were treated, you know, just just by people. And and one of the things is like, and they, I think they do a good job of this at Mount Vernon, is the the curators and the people who are there will tell you, they're like George Washington owns slaves, and slavery inherently is is wrong. It's immoral. It's 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 not a good thing. However, he's like, there are slave owners that treat slaves better than other slave owners. So when it came to like the small farm, like medium sized farm, where the farmer and the slaves are out in the fields working together. Right. And again, there's a little mutual respect with that that comes along. And again, that's my own opinion, just from doing like some background reading and stuff like that. It's kind of a you know, hey, we're, we're busting our butts together, like, you know, great, but they're still enslaved, right? That doesn't make it okay. And then you had plantations, right? Like that were sprawling and the owner never like saw really, I mean, they might go look, but that's about it. Um, they're not gonna be handling the day-to-day where they would hire overseers. An overseer's job was to just make sure the work gets done as much as possible. And this can be done through multiple ways Um, including using, like, whips and things like that. But again, going back to the economics, yes, the great picture behind you. Yes, so those are scars, those are whipping scars on the back of a a slave or former slave. Um, And if you hurt a slave, they wouldn't be able to work. So, again, you go back to the losing money thing. So is it important enough that you need to punish this slave to the point where they can't work to get your point across? Like one of the things we always talk about is like when you talk about slavery, right, Because everyone, kids, are always like, "Well, I run away." It's like, great, you run away, you, you know, barely speak the language, you can't read or write, you're black, so you stick out everywhere, right? And 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 free, freemen is the term, but free blacks in the South carried papers with them, right, saying that they were free and that they they were only allowed in these certain areas. Because they couldn't in the South, they couldn't travel freely, right? Because again, the fear was slave rebellions and things like that. And so, so you you and you can't run away. Well, if you get caught, right, there are different ways that that you can be punished. Things like taking a branding iron in the fire and putting like an R on your cheek, right, for runaway. Uh, things like cutting off your toes, right. And if you ever think about this, like you could pause this video right now and try and stand on the balls of your feet, like try and run without your toes. You, you can't. And then the last one, like more egregious was like slashing the Achilles heel, which basically means you're never going to run slash. You're hardly going to ever walk again. Um, and and then like the last resort would be, would be a, a death. But again, if you kill them, you've just lost a lot of money. And again, since we can't import slaves anymore from Africa, the value of a slave has now risen. The cost is is much more, a slave is much more valuable.
1: And I think there was a, a good kind of firsthand or primary source account in the chapter from Frederick Douglass about slave breakers. So like if a slave like refused to follow orders and essentially was independent-minded, you would essentially send them to somebody who specialized in making slaves obedient. So somebody who like essentially would do terrible things to that slave to make them be compliant because all you're doing is essentially physically and like emotionally torturing that person until they're willing to just be like, okay, I just want to just, I want to eat. I want to be safe. You know what I mean? And I want to just, I'll, I'll do whatever you, I'll, I'll do the work. Because I'm, a, I don't want you to hurt me. I want food. You know, what I mean, you want that safety just on a Maslow's yeah. basic needs. And that's a really terrible thing to think about. That you know, almost no matter what you, what job you work in the United States right now, like you, your boss can't beach physically hurt you, and then you have no legal recourse. You can't be sexually assaulted and have no legal recourse your boss can't force you like force to can't sell one of your kids to somebody else in a different state. You know what I mean? Just the amount of control that was in that system is just, and, and the fact that it's generational, I think that's one of the things that really makes slavery in America or in the Americas different than other forms of slavery throughout time. Like native Americans had slavery, but often you would you could graduate from being a slave to eventually become like an adopted member of the tribe but race-based slavery in america was generational it was sustained and it was a systemic like disparity in power between right the the white people and the africans or the black people you know systematically made to keep them down and just at a disadvantage um and i think that's just one of the things that really sets it apart because all over the mediterranean and stuff like you had the africans would come up the barbary coast pirates would steal people and sell them into slavery but again it was very rarely based on we're going to sell you because you're a white person we're going to sell you because we captured you and that's how you're worth money to us it wasn't a matter of we're only capturing certain people you go back and read about the ottomans and stuff the same thing the same kind of like they said oh they captured people and sold them to the arabs but again a lot of those slaves aren't being sold to do menial labor. You're capturing somebody who, like, there was a lot of the histories that we have from the Turks, the Ottoman Empire and the Turks of that time period come from Christians that were captured as slaves that were educated and then made to chronicle, you know, things that were happening in the Ottoman Empire so that, like, some of it could be disseminated into an English-speaking audience. You know what I mean? So it's like the fact that they're at a they're doing the lowest level of work for the most part. Yeah. You know, is is really what makes it this terrible system.
0: Yeah. And I I think that it's summed up here in that last quote in section five from Frederick Douglass. And so Frederick Douglass was sent to a man uh named, I believe it's Edward Covey. Yeah, and so here's the quote. So finally, Kobe worked his slaves beyond endurance. This was written of Douglas. We worked all weathers. It was never too hot or too cold. It could never rain, blow, hail, or snow too hard for us to work in the field. The longest days were too short for him, and the shortest nights were too long for him. I was somewhat unmanageable when I first got there, but a few months of this disciplined tamed me i was a broken in body soul and spirit the dark night of slavery closed in upon me and i think that that's some that's a summation of this right because whether you you're you know whatever whatever you think happened you know i take frederick Douglass as a as a very like educated well-spoken person if you ever want to read a short good book his autobiography is phenomenal. Like, d- definitely read it. Uh, but I mean, like, no matter what, like, think about that. Like, you could be the happiest person in the world, but you don't control your own destiny. You don't control your own personal life. Right? Like, that's the that's the hard part. And there's tons of great um, information out there. Uh, I'm trying to remember the article. I'm not going to remember off the top of my head. But if you Google last interview with a slave ship survivor absolutely fascinating about like it's the last person that was it's like right after the civil war they record this person who uh was one of the last people to get brought over on a slave ship like one of the last cargoes from africa and there's uh 12 years of slave got made into a movie it's a book um that's a great read but i mean this is and this is a black mark on our nation and it's something that needs to be talked about, needs to be discussed. And one of my biggest pet peeves was uh, when people say that the um, American Civil War was about states' rights. It's it's one of the most frustrating things to me. Um, it was not about states' rights. It, it's, I'm sorry, like that's I'll I will put my whole reputation as a teacher and and a historian out on the line. It's it's all about slavery. That's the reason. Right, and you can come at it from any angle you want, but but it's about slavery as a whole, and this this drove a wedge into our country that led to six hundred thousand people dying for this this answer, and and it's still a battle we're fighting today. It's not. This is where it all comes from. Those first slaves to arrive at Jamestown in sixteen ten are the reason why we have things that are like Black Lives Matter posters up and things like that, and why it's a big deal when someone of color gets elected to a position of power. It's because that's where our history comes from.
1: And if you think about um, the Civil Wars fought in the 1860s, and then Martin Luther King comes along in the 1960s for the Civil Rights Movement, a hundred years elapses from the end of slavery and African-Americans having enough social and political power and capital to actually push and say, we don't have equity. Like the system is still right. There's still inequity in the system. And I'd like to think that we're like, people are trying to work on creating equity and I know there's, trouble that comes with that when you come you know, some people sit there and talk about that one way or the other. But, you know, there are some countries in the world that have that inequity and aren't interested in fixing it. You know, the United States, you know, it's that progress of always trying to improve and make the country a better place is what I kinda of hang my hat on on what makes America America. Um, you know, and so just to keep that in mind that slavery ended and then it took a hundred years for those people to become socially mobile enough to push for that advantage and say no we're not being treated equally you need to we need to change things we need to not have black school or colored schools and white schools you know we need to be able to sit wherever on the bus and things like that that are just beyond our scope and just think about the number of people of color that are in congress you know what I mean? And now, like, we extend that to, like, you know, Latinos and Latinas and, like, Arabs, uh, Muslims, Jews, you know, like, all of these other minorities that, you know, there's two women that got elected to the House of Representatives that are female Muslims, and they're, like, the first two, like, ever. And, like, there is so much hate that gets thrown on them. Everything they say gets super scrutinized just because they're Muslim. And the average person in america doesn't know enough about islam that it's actually super 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 similar to christianity um and they just they're they're afraid of what they don't know and if we're really going to be the american melting pot like you know i mean like we need to put that aside and understand that one of the things that makes us amazing is the fact that we are different we have different opinions so kind of this is the groundwork for where we're at today you know i mean like if there wasn't people that started rising up and saying, you know, and we're going to talk next week a lot about opposition to slavery. That's kind of the second half of this chapter. So I'll kind of leave you with that that glimmer of hope that even though everything we kind of talked about this week is kind of doom and gloom and like, this is all of the really bad stuff that we did. And again, in class, I always say, was it fair? And the answer is no. Was it nice? No. Did it happen? Absolutely. And again, over and over in history, that happens time and time again
0: and one of the big things i I, i'll end with the fact like just building off what you said is don't we we can't sugarcoat history we have to give it to it exactly as as close to reality as we can grasp that's what we need to do and and hopefully the people watching this video will work so that this stuff never happens again so anything else you want to add Okay, so next week, or this week, sorry, not next week. This week's shenanigans, to try and get a little bit happier note, is going to be Pirates. Pirates. My my brother's going to be super excited um, because he's a huge Pirates of the Caribbean fan. So we're going to talk about just famous Pirates and things like that just for fun, uh, whatever we dig up. Uh, Yeah, so... Uh, if you're in eighth grade and you're watching this video, nice job, Mazatov. Tov. Uh, if it's my class, there's a Microsoft Forms quiz. Just so a one-questioner. You can handle it. Um, and until next time, I'm the turn. I'm the bark. We're going to be here a long time. Have a good night, everybody.
1: Be safe.
0: Be well.